0: But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at VortexOptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from VortexOptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Hey, everybody. This is Kyle V, host of the Ozark Podcast.
1: If you like the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast, we have a show for you. We sit down with local outdoorsmen of Arkansas, Missouri, and Oklahoma to talk all things hunting, fishing, conservation, history, and culture in the Ozark Mountains region. Just like the outdoorsmen who live here, we follow the seasons and interview regional experts to discuss the pursuits of hunting turkeys, bears, and whitetail, as well as the science behind their conservation. Join me and my co-host Kyle Plunkett every Wednesday, and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode.
2: You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast.
0: Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Strut Report. Super excited about this one. Of course, this is your host for the Sharpport, Jacob Myers. Um, This episode, we're going to cover a bunch of different states. Uh, We actually have six different guys on. Uh, We're covering the states of Florida, Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi. Now, Mississippi season is coming up uh, and actually starting on Monday, the 15th. Um, and then parts of Florida are starting to open up as well as you kind of go a little bit north, along with Georgia's coming up on the 20th, along with Alabama. There's a lot of stuff we cover in this episode, but you really want to stick around to the very last interview, which we had um, Mr. Scott Ellis on, uh, who's been a guest from the past. Uh, you might know him through Apex or Woodhaven or this grand national uh, calling champion. Um, but Scott actually comes on. We actually had a little bit more time just to discuss and actually became like a mini episode. Uh, We talked about his topic, which we've talked about a lot this season, which is hiding the hen, uh, which we've talked about on quite a few episodes. Andrew's talked about it quite a bit as well. And we really dive into that along with blind calling at the end of this episode. So I highly recommend making you make sure you stick around for the whole episode, check out that very last interview, I think you're really going to enjoy it, and if you do, please share it with a buddy. Again, we are rocking and rolling, turkey season is almost here, guys, for most of us, and again, I hope you enjoy this episode, but I'll shut up and uh, we'll just jump into the very first interview. Alright guys, and first on the line, we have Ricky Bullard coming in from North Florida. Ricky, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good. Still riding a high.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about that high, man. You just it seems like you had a, a heck of a hunt down in uh, South Florida. Uh, got an Osceola, uh, which is going to play into kind of what we're going to be talking about with you first. Um, kind of where you live in North Florida, you hunt a bunch of different uh, pieces of public land um, and you had some success also down in uh, South Florida as well, along with hunting uh, Southern Georgia. So this report is going to be really kind of interesting because you're covering a wide range of area that you've been scouting and kind of being around over the last week or two. But they kind of kicked us off, my man. Uh, What was the gobbling activity like down there in South Florida where you were at for the uh, opener?
1: So for the opener, um, I I didn't get a chance to scout ahead of time but that that first morning I uh, just going off map scouting got in there and heard several birds gobbling. It was actually really good that first day um, before the wind picked up. But but yeah, there's two or three birds together and then one of those ended up getting shot so i I backed off of that uh, that approach and went towards another one i heard in the distance but uh, yeah i heard heard five that morning and from what i heard from everybody else that that first morning was pretty good and if you were around birds they were they were talking
0: all right fantastic now how does that relate with kind of what you're uh kind of hearing around a little bit more local to where you're living kind of north florida where you've been scouting listening up there along with south georgia
1: they haven't been quite as fired up um a week ago i heard today i talked to a guy who went out and listened in south georgia and he said they were they were hammering pretty good especially on the limb and then shortly after once they got on the ground but uh about two weeks ago i saw a flock out on some private next to some public that i'm that i was scouting and they were just doing their winter thing you know the gobblers were strutting but the hens were feeding jakes were hanging around it was just one big old drove of them but uh from what I've been here and that's, that's not the case anymore. They're starting to split up and cobbling activities picking up.
0: And that's exactly what I was going to ask you is kind of like, especially up there uh, around kind of where you live, North Florida, and also kind of where you're hunting in South Georgia, whether or not the birds are still in, you know, these kind of winter flocks or if they're starting to separate and you're kind of getting reports from other guys seeing of them kind of separate over this last week or so.
1: Yeah, I've been uh, busy around this trip and, and on the trip, but, from what I've been talking to the guys here around the house and one guy, he saw a gobbler and a hen together today and he was the gobbler of strutting and gobbling. That was actually this afternoon, which is kind of odd for this area. They don't normally gobble a lot in the evenings, but, and then, uh, you know, a lot of gobbler and hen, gobblers and hen tracks walking down roads together.
0: (laughs) Now, one thing I want to get into is kind of habitat, Uh, starting with your Osceola bird that you killed down in South Florida. uh, What kind of habitat um, did did you actually kill him in? And was there any kind of specific habitat type that those birds were really sticking to that you noticed?
1: Yeah, so like I said, I think it's a chance to scout ahead of time, but just off the map scouting, I was kind of trying to focus on areas where I thought there would still be some water, because I'd heard it it would been pretty dry. And it it was, it was pretty dry and, and the birds were roosted over water all the birds I heard um they were roosted directly over water but um but yeah they just they were kind of flying down into uh any kind of a couple on roads one of them was in a little tight kind of like the grass prairie area and it's palmetto's mixed in um but when he flew down or I'm sorry when I backed off the first bird that actually got shot in front of me um went towards the one further away. I actually saw a hen coming and I set up and called and she was just kind of doing her thing. And then the, uh, the gobbler ended up shooting. He came in with a Jake just hammering every, every time I yelped. So I just kind of shut up and luckily she was there to lure him in, but he, uh, he saw her and started breeding her and the Jake paraded around in front of me for about 20 minutes before he finally got out of the way. So I could crawl around those Palmetto's and get a shot.
0: Very cool. Awesome. Now, uh, kind of back around home, uh, kind of that North Florida and then South Georgia area, what kind of habitat type, uh, do you see a lot of these birds kind of sticking to this time of the year? And does that change at all come, you know, season?
1: Well, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of fields around here opening. So, you know, they'll typically you can, you'll find some struts on the roads around here this time of year. And, uh, then later morning, like mid morning and throughout the rest of the day, They kind of follow the hens around. There's a lot of uh, flooded creek bottoms and and river swamp around this area, North Florida and South Georgia, and the hens will just kind of follow that water line, eating crawfish, acorns. Um, Sometimes they'll get up in the the edge of clear cuts and do some bugging, but I, I typically like to focus on those water lines, and the gobblers are usually right there with them.
0: Well, fantastic. And you know, something that people are going to hear a little bit more as the strut report continues on over the next few weeks, as more and more States open up is a question I like to ask guys, especially the guys like yourself that have had success, you know, recently, like you with you down in South Florida. And the question is what helped you have success on this hunt and how can you kind of relate that and share that with the listeners?
1: Oh, uh, kind of two things. I, I mean, I really, I really did a lot of map scouting, and I kind of obsessed about it, but it ended up paying off. Um, got on birds right away um but and then just not not giving up because i was pretty let down when i was working towards those birds and then got a little closer and thought i heard a slate call and sure enough you know heard a shot ring out so i backed out of there and went to the next one but you know it's, it's pretty easy to get discouraged when something like that happens and public land it's it's bound to happen so
0: and one of the last things I want to ask you is just about what is your game plan for, like, the Georgia opener along with uh, filling your second tag uh, in the state of Florida?
1: Yeah, so uh, actually the opening day is the same in both states this year. Uh, but unfortunately, I have to work. But the third day of the season, I'll be getting out. And kind of my game plan is, like I said, focus on those creek bottoms, swamp bottoms. It's, uh, it's been pretty wet around here the last month or so. Just had a ton of rain. But as that water's receding, um, I'm just gonna stick to the what I've done in the past and um, those turkeys will be on that water line and uh, either either there or if I can find a, a burn. I haven't seen a ton of burns on the places I'm hunting, but my that's kinda like my main strategy is follow those water lines in the in the creek creek bottoms and river swamps as it's kinda as it's going down, those birds will be roosting over it and they'll they'll be feeding right there on it as well.
0: And Ricky is my final question. Uh, what is a last tip you'd give the listeners uh, to have, hopefully, you know, maybe especially our Georgia listeners, which we have a lot of listeners in the state of Georgia uh, and also in North Florida as well. What kind of tip or advice would you give them for trying to have success opening weekend uh, and really just try to play their cards right?
1: Well, and just the way I kind of my style of hunting is don't be afraid to to be aggressive and uh, not so much just with calling, but uh, if you're if you got a bird, you know, and you feel like you need to make a move, do it. Do it while you can before he before he starts coming towards you, and, and and don't get caught with your pants down. Make sure you've got a uh, somewhere to set up before you start calling. Um, but yeah, that that's my main deal, just being aggressive, and a lot of times that that has works out for me.
0: Awesome. Well, Ricky, thank you again for coming on for this week's Strut report, and best of luck to you for the rest of the season.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you.
0: All right, guys, and next on the line we have Joseph Jones coming in from Georgia. Joseph, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm just sitting here at my dining room table trying to turn out some mouth calls tonight. <laughs> well, hey, it's uh, season's coming up on us quick. And um, I know you and me were talking just a little bit before we jumped on the phone or really started recording, uh, but you're coming in from kind of the eastern Georgia side, uh, close to the uh, South Carolina border, but you hunt also uh, in south-central Georgia. So you have a wide range of not only experience in different regions of Georgia, which is actually a quite bigger state than most people realize, uh, but also yeah. you got a lot of intel from a bunch of other guys that we're going to kind of talk about. So that's fantastic, especially with you season coming up. Uh, this weekend um, but to kick us yep. off uh, Joseph what is the gobbling activity been like from what you've personally been hearing but also what you're hearing from other guys and buddies in the areas uh, over this last week or so yeah
3: I'll, I'll just kind of start off with my personal stuff it's been extremely slow um, I haven't been able to get out as much as I'd like but I got out last weekend and then twice or three times this week and didn't hear a bird at all all week Um, Now, I would like to to say that last weekend, Saturday morning, it was one of those, like, super humid, cold, low pressure, just kind of like crummy days where if it was turkey season, I'd be like, man, I'm not expecting too much. And then Sunday morning, it was, like, 29 or 30 degrees, and this was back home in south-central Georgia, and I went uh, last Friday morning, I picked up a new lease over here in east Georgia. And I've listened on it three times now and hadn't heard a bird. And I'm kind of wondering if that's uh, if that's just because there's not a whole lot of birds over here. But I've seen a few, but um, I'm going to go before work tomorrow morning and Friday morning just to kind of have plan B for youth season. Um, but the weather is supposed to be perfect the next two days, so I kind of have higher hopes for there. But kind of to touch on uh, what some of my buddies are hearing, my best friend, he also hunts back over in uh, south-central Georgia and kind of like the middle Georgia area. And he has been listening a lot. He has a small piece of property that he owns. It's like 35 acres. Um, but it's just loaded with turkeys. And
4: w- he's he's been
3: hearing a few, you know, one or two, um, most days he's gone, except for those slow days like this past weekend. I don't think he heard a bird all weekend. And most people that I talked to didn't. Um, but then he went and checked out a place in Twiggs County, which is kind of dead center, middle Georgia. And he said he heard, uh, he heard, I think he heard three right off the roost. And they were doing some scouting. And I think like mid morning, he crow called or cut or something. And a bird gobbled like 9 30, 10 o'clock, like a 100 yards from him. And so, uh, I think things are starting to get warmed up. Um, as far as like what's going on like as far as the timeline how it usually falls i think things are probably a little bit slower than usual um but you know we'll see because the weather hadn't really been perfect but we're starting to get some warmer temperatures throughout the day it's still freezing cold in the mornings but the next the, the next 7 day forecast is kind of showing a change in that um the kid that I'm taking this youth season, he's 16, so this will be his last year able to do it. Um, and with COVID and all, he's actually one of my students in my ag classes. i talked to you on the phone before, you know, I'm a high school ag teacher. And he went and listened this morning and he said he heard two, which is also kind of low for the for that property, but it's better than be nothing. So that's kind of that's the goblin activity. It has not been super, super hot, um, but I'll be interested to see what, what kind of ramps up here in the next week because next Wednesday this time last year, all the schools let out for COVID, and it let out the Wednesday before the Georgia opener. And so I listened Wednesday, that Thursday and Friday morning and heard, like, I know that that Thursday morning, because I'll never forget it, I heard 12 different birds gobble within an earshot. And so it's it's quite different from last year so far.
0: Now, also, these areas that you have experienced hunting and have scouted and also know buddies in these areas, um, right now are the turkeys still kind of in a winter flock um, or are you starting to see and hear more reports reports of people seeing these birds starting to split up?
3: I think that we're starting to see them start to split up a little bit. We're not. I know that personally and from what I've talked to my friends about, we're not necessarily seeing those big flocks of gobblers and those big flocks of hens separated. Um, a buddy of mine sent me a video about 3 days ago. Uh he's he was on a tractor and he had two long-beards and like four hens out there and the long-beards were strutting around. So I think we're starting to see those gobblers kind of in, intermingling with those groups of hens. Um you know, but that part of it is pretty typical cuz usually this time of year for about the first 2 or 3 weeks of the season, you know, and it's that's that way from, you know, across most of the south, but Uh, that's starting to look pretty normal. The gobblers are starting to kind of break out and they're, they're starting to do their spring thing is all i to say.
0: Yeah. And kind of going into, can you explain a little bit, what's the habitat like in the areas that you hunt? And is there any specific habitat features or types of habitat that you're starting to see birds kind of sticking to right now and maybe will change a little bit as season comes in? Yeah. Um, so
3: like I said, I, I hunt a lot over here in East Georgia and I hunt a lot back home, Um, but I think the two main differences is is that I hunt a lot of, I hunt way more public over here than I do back home, simply because there's more public over here. Um, But I hunt a lot of private as well, but the biggest difference is back home, it's a lot more ag fields, not as many big hardwoods. What woods there are, it's mostly uh, planted pines, and over here, you're starting to get around the fall line, and so we're getting into these big hardwood bottoms, but then, just south of the fall line. Um, here where I live, over here in Jenkins County, everywhere here in south, it's big, uh, flooded swamp bottoms, um, You know, Palmetto Flats, water oaks, the whole nine yards. It's over here around the Savannah River. And what I'm starting to see um, is you're starting to see a lot more of these birds use the ag fields back home as strut zones. That's kind of what they do. So. Usually you'll be deer hunting and it's kinda of hard to come by a turkey in a field and it just seems like something clicks and all of a sudden you'll start to see these birds strutting in these fields and that's what we're kinda of starting to run into. Um over here in East Georgia, you know, they're still in the woods, but they're just you know, they're just kinda of getting more active.
0: Yeah, and then kind of going towards, you know, youth season coming up this weekend, you said you got, you're got you taking a student hunting, um, you know, this weekend. What is kind of the game plan for opening day for him? And, again, kind of maybe was walk us through what the progression is probably going to be like for you guys. Yeah, so um, he actually has – his family has a hunting club
3: that's about 3,000 acres. So we we've got a pretty good bit of room to work with. And I picked up this new club over here. Um, it's, it's about 160 acres. And so, you know, in Georgia, I can't remember what the regulations are for other states across the South, because I know that lots of them are starting to get kicked up or have already started, but in Georgia, it's private land only. So what we're going to be focusing on is obviously all that private land and he is going out there and listening. And ideally what's going to happen is tomorrow morning and Friday morning, the weather's going to be dang near as perfect as you can get it. And he's going to go out there and listen, and we're pretty much going to try and have one pen for Saturday morning. If that works out, we are going to get in there uh, way before light and try and get up near a, you know, just a general roost zone. Um, but what he's starting to see is that compared to last year, a lot of the birds are roosting in the same areas, which really helps us out because on that property, it's kind of like on one side of the property, which has a big, um beaver pond where they dammed up a creek, and those birds like to roost over that beaver pond and then some other small ponds. and what could work in our favor is if they will roost in there if they're if they're there tomorrow and Friday morning we can get in there really really early um there's a system of roads throughout the hunting club and we can kind of get in one of the tees of those roads just set up a decoy and let them do their thing give them some tree
0: elps fly down cackle and just sit and wait to keep it nice and simple that's perfect especially for any youth hunter like that Yep. um but awesome Joseph. well joseph thanks again for coming on uh sharing your experience and giving us a good report from georgia and uh, best of luck for you guys uh for this um coming youth season
3: oh yeah no problem we're looking forward to it
0: all right guys and next on the line we have truett marshall coming in from the great state of mississippi truett how you doing brother Oh,
5: man. I can't complain. Turkey season's on this here. What about y'all?
0: Now we're talking, dude. I'm right there with you. Now we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> dude I'm, I'm a little jealous this year y'all starting five days before us in alabama and we're going to talk all about this because i know we've had some uh, listeners that uh are taking kids out and having some success this past week or this week uh, for the youth hunt but we're real excited of course for opening week uh, and opening day which is this coming monday uh the 15th but to, to kind of kick us off my man um first off to kind of maybe give an idea what region of mississippi do you kind of hunt in just like kind of region of the state
5: Uh, so currently right now, I'm hunting majority, uh, east, central Mississippi, but, uh, usually I hunt a lot in, uh, like very south Mississippi, like the lower counties. Okay, perfect.
0: Well, that kind of gives us a good idea of kind of what we're going to be talking about, but what's, what's the gobbling activity been like for you over this last week, but also over the last few days as you've been out there kind of listening?
5: Uh, the gobbling activity, it's been kind of blow I mean, uh, they may gobble uh, maybe one to five times on a limb, or in my experiences, that's what they're doing right now. But uh, I talked to some other buddies that uh, they have heard them absolutely hammering. But I think today it was a little bit better. It started warming up uh, in the mornings. It wasn't as cold, and uh, today was a little bit better today. But it's still about the same. About Five gobbles on a limb, that's about all you get at the moment. It's been kind of slow.
0: Now, is that kind of on par for this time of the year from years past? Or are we a little bit maybe behind where it should be? Or maybe, you know, just kind of where, again, it, it's kind of common to be at this time of the year?
5: Uh, I, I honestly think it's a little bit behind because uh, I, I guess the weather had a big uh, factor in that. That's just me guessing because we had that big ice storm because it was getting really, really warm, and things are starting to look good, and all of a sudden that ice storm hit, and I think it kind of set them back a little bit.
0: Yeah, now, well, kind of getting into the next question, well, this time of the year, kind of what you're seeing and also you're hearing from other buddies, right now are a lot of turkeys in the area that you hunt in, are they still kind of in winter flocks, or are you starting to see birds separate and you're starting to see a little bit more like lone gobblers? Well,
5: I, I still think they're uh, pretty flocked up, because one of my buddies, he – uh he glassed some uh, turkeys uh, feeding out through uh, in some pines, and uh, he said them turkeys were still looked like they're in a winter flock. They didn't try to shrug or nothing. Didn't, they just kept feeding, acting like they were in a winter flock. So I, they're still
0: bunched up pretty good. All right, perfect. Now, when do you think – this is a a curveball question because I haven't asked the other guys this, but I think we're going to start implementing this. What time of the season do you start seeing those flocks really kind of break up? I mean, is that normally like that first week of season or is it a little bit more of a progression before you start seeing uh, a little bit more kind of lone gobblers and uh, kind of hens doing their own thing? Uh,
5: For where I'm at right now, uh, it's usually maybe does. Second week of season, you really start seeing them bust up really good. But uh, in the very south region of the hunt, open day, you'll, you'll still have some, like, long gobblers coming to you. But uh, where I'm at right now in East Central, uh
0: about that second week, you'll start getting some long gobblers busting up really good. All right. Perfect. And, uh, getting to our third or the third main question, uh, what kind of habitat are you kind of hunting? Like to kind of explain to the other listeners, what's the habitat like in the areas that you hunt? And also what's the kind of habitat type that these birds are really sticking to this time of year? Again, are you in an area with a lot of like cattle fields and cattle farms where it's a lot of open area or this is a little bit more kind of like big river bottom or just open timber? What's kind of the layout and where these birds are really sticking to?
5: Uh, i usually hunt. It's, uh, like, really mature pine timber, but it's got hardwood uh, bottoms mixed into it, in it. And, uh, and also hunt like, some places that are just managed for, like, cutting timber. So, you have, like, some younger pines and, like, SMZs S&Z, and stuff. But here lately, uh, what I've been seeing, the turkeys are in the hardwood bottoms, just feeding along creeks and, uh, scratching, I guess, feeding on those acorns right now. But that's really where I'm seeing the most sign at at the moment.
0: Now, True, I want you to kind of lay lay out your game plan for opening day, but also opening week. I mean, how are you going to kind of approach that week, and what are you going to try to do ahead of time to put yourself in the right position? Oh, uh, I'm just gonna keep listening. But uh, the
5: weather is not looking too great for opening day, so I'm just gonna go out there and listen where uh, I know I've heard a turkey, and uh, it's not uh too terrible i was gonna hang with it all day where i've seen previous sign you know like scratchings and uh you know where i've seen feathers and tracks and just wait it out all day if they're not gobbling or anything just kind of deer hunt them i guess if
0: they're not gonna act right yep it's all about that patient game well that sounds good well true man listen i appreciate you coming on for this week's strut report and thanks again and best of luck to you opening week all right thank y'all y'all too If you live in the South, you get
2: to rifle hunt more than pretty much the rest of the country. With all that rifle hunting can come a lot of damage to your hearing. We all know we need to be protecting our hearing when we're gun hunting, but the use of traditional hearing equipment is not ideal. That rut-crazed buck might only give you a split second to get a shot off through the pines, which is never enough time to get your hearing protection on. We all know a suppressor is ideal for that situation, but buying one has always been a long, difficult process until Silencer Central. Silencer Central is the creator of a revolutionary process which silences headaches and hassles. The process is simple and makes sense. It's a process that begins with paperwork without the work, and ends with Silencer Central delivering your silencer right to your door. That's right, right to your door. They take care of the government paperwork for you and then send you your silencer when it's ready. Sound too good to be true? Well, learn more about Silencer Central's easy buying process at silencercentral.com or give them a call at 888-988-8179. All right,
0: guys, and next on the line we have Mr. Jimmy Styles coming in from South Alabama. Jimmy, how are you doing, brother? Hi man, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. More turkey talk, dude. It's got me excited. Every guest that we've had on for this strut report's got me pumped. Even the guys that are seeing and hearing a little bit less activity. It's just one day closer to season, so I've got to ask. Absolutely. I know you're a turkey fanatic, and you, the you know people might hear you on a future episode coming out with the Southern Outdoorsman, but. You know, you Love you, it. you you wrap your whole uh, year around turkey hunting, it seems like. And I know you spend a lot of times in the woods listening Dude. for birds. But what have you seen and heard gobbling activity been like over the last week or so? And kind of how does that stand out compared to years past? Are we on par for where it should be down there? Or is it maybe not exactly where it should be?
4: I mean, I, I've been hearing a fair amount of birds. Uh, they 're not like super crunked up, you know they 're not uh gobbling their brains out, although I did yesterday have one that was very excited but in general they 've been you know gobbling a few times off the roost and then uh hitting the ground, maybe gobble uh once or twice and then uh get quiet but uh but we're we're about on par for where we should be um you know, some years uh uh you know, they'll they'll got they won't really get fired up until a little bit later on. Um and I've had some years that where they, you know, start a little bit earlier, but uh but we're 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 pretty much right on the average down here in South Alabama.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, uh kind of moving forward a little bit, you know, right now during this time of the year, are you starting are you still seeing kinda of like these bigger winter flocks or are you starting to see a little bit more bird separation, especially with these gobblers?
4: I mean, I, a, a little bit of both. Uh, recently, I've seen I've seen some some pretty large flocks out in the fields, um, but I, I have started to see a, a couple lone gobblers here and there that are uh, you know trying to corral up some hens and maybe some younger gobblers that are separating away from their uh, you know winter bachelor groups and stuff like that. Um, so that we're we're starting to get a little bit of that, but there's you know the big flocks are you know, holding, holding pretty tight for right now. All
0: right, and uh, kind of moving on to another question. Can you explain, uh, you know, yeah. what kind of habitat is, uh, you know, this south, like where are you hunting South Alabama? What's that habitat like down there? And is there anything specific habitat type that you see a lot of these turkeys kind of sticking to this time of the year, and will that change, you know, as the season progresses?
4: Sure. I mean, uh, the Connect National Forest, where, where I spend most of my time, because uh, I live there, is uh, predominantly long-wave pine ecosystem. So it's, uh, you know, fire-maintained, got a lot of grassy open areas. Uh, it's got, got a few hardwood river bottoms and creek bottoms, uh, and they're, they're you know, sticking to tr- tr- tradition, really. Right now they're, you know, it, roosting in the river bottoms, and, and they'll fly down, spend some time in the river bottoms, and then move up. Onto the uh, the grassy knolls um, as the day progresses, um, spending a, a fair amount of time in the fields on you know rainy days and stuff like that. But uh, um, you know, a lot of time in the the uplands midday, um, and uh, you know, of course, uh, the Connect National Forest with a lot of National forests get get a fair amount of burns. So you know, if if a burn pops up, the turkeys are going to be hitting that fresh burn um, very regularly um, right off the roost.
0: All oh, right, fantastic. And I've got to ask, what is kind of your game plan going into opening day? But I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball just because you explained this to me earlier. You're also going to go hunt Mississippi. So I've got to yeah. ask, before we even answer the thing about Alabama, are you hunting publicly or privately in Mississippi?
4: Uh, I'm hunting publicly in Mississippi. Um, we got, Me and a couple of my friends are going over there and uh, we're going to hit uh, National Forest land over there. Um, I I went last year to National Forest, did, had a fantastic hunt, um, got on goblin birds every day, um, but uh, I'm going to a new area this time, so, so I don't know much about it, but uh, that's part of the excitement of you know going some places to you know see something new and uh try some fresh birds.
0: Yeah, well I want to ask this question for both places. What's your what's your game plan for uh Mississippi when you go over there cuz you're going to hunt there before Alabama comes in? What's your game plan hunting over there? How are you going to kind of uh progress, you know, hopefully throughout the first few days of you being there? And then also what's the game plan when you come back to Alabama? Uh
4: well, in Mississippi, uh my game plan what what I did last year that worked out pretty good was uh um, hit river bottoms or transition zones between river bottoms and uh the upland pine. Um I I can't lie, I'm a burn chaser. Um so I am gonna be looking for fresh burns over there and uh, you know, hitting any fresh burns as hard as I can. Uh and um yeah, so hopefully it hopefully it'll work out, you know. Uh like I said, I had a had a great season last year over there. Um uh, for the opening week. And uh then yeah, I'm gonna come back to Alabama, opening day Alabama. Um I've got quite a few birds roosted, so uh I'm gonna hit an area that's uh um primarily a hardwood area. Right now there's still a fair amount of uh small Uh, Water oaks and laurel oaks that dropped a little bit later and still uh, have a fair amount of mass on the ground. And, and of course, uh, some of those acorns are starting to get buggy. And uh, so uh, probably hit some hardwood, uh, probably hit a a hardwood area um, open in morning um, where I know there's some birds working. Um, And then after that I'll I'll probably be smoke chasing, um, finding finding the fresh burns and hunting them, the you know, day or two after
0: the burn. Excellent. Awesome. Well, Jimmy, I uh, appreciate you coming on for this week's Strut Report. Best of luck to you both uh, opening week of Mississippi and Alabama. And, again, hopefully have you back on uh, on a future episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. But thanks again, brother.
4: Love it, man. Good luck to you all, and uh, hope we all get one opening morning.
0: All right, guys, and last on the line, we saved the best for last, Mr. Scott Ellis from Florida, which a lot of (laughs) y'all probably know from uh, a a bunch of different things, from uh, him winning a couple of calling competitions to everything else uh, that he does, guiding and everything else. But, Scott, man, I'm excited to have you on the show. And, uh, dude, you're just a wealth of knowledge. And we've been talking a lot about you uh, over the last few episodes about hiding the hind, uh, which is something that you've always talked about, which we'll probably dive in on this episode uh, of this part of the Strut Report. You being our last guest, I'll be honest, we can ramble a little bit on and uh, let you kind of cover what you want to with you being the last guy on here. Plus, it's going to make for some good entertainment as well and uh, some knowledge to <laughs> be dropped. But, Scott, to kind of kick us off, brother, uh, let the listeners kind of know what region of Florida do you kind of live in and kind of hunt in down there, especially in this Osceola country?
6: Well, glad to be here, first off, Jacob. Thanks for having me on again. And, um, yeah, I live in central Florida, uh, kind of in between Tampa and Orlando, right right in the middle part of the state, really. Probably about two and a half hours from the northern line of demarcation from Osceola's. And, uh, and everywhere, everywhere I've hunted, I, the last couple weekends, obviously, is in south of 70. Uh, we were in Lakeport for Jake's hunt and then in Clewiston and, and uh, Palmdale last weekend as well. And, um, that, that's where I'm kind of go, I kind of hunt around the house here in central Florida. I go a little north to the closer to the northern boundary of the Osceola line. And then I also go as far down in, like I said, Clewiston Lakeport around Lake Okeechobee, that area.
0: Beautiful. Well, to kind of kick us off, dude, I know you had some success uh, from this past week, uh, just kind of opening day and kind of just the opening hunts and everything. And I know your uh, son had some success down there as well in the youth hunt. Um, But what's the gobbling activity been like for you guys down there? And what have you been hearing from other people as well, you know, kind of in that part of Florida? And is that something from what you've been hearing, is it on par with where it should be? Or maybe are we a little bit behind of where it's been in years past?
3: I would say
6: with – Pretty good certainty, and it's been a long time since they've been behind, but we've had somewhat of a cooler winter in Florida this year. We've actually had a little bit of a winter. Now it warmed up about two weeks ago and stayed warm for a spell. Now it's kind of cooled back down to more pleasant temps again, down to 40s, upper 40s and 50s and highs in the 70s. And, I, you know, the weather, it doesn't dictate when – Hens and gobblers decide to breed. It's the amount of light that the red intakes. It's the length of the day is what actually triggers testosterone and estrogen in turkeys, hen turkeys, and just testosterone and gobblers. But I will say I think that in in a place that is as sensitive as sensitive as Florida is, um, with the weather patterns usually being much warmer than than they are and have been, I think that that has delayed everything a little bit. And to answer your question. Um, Jake's bird, the quick short version of it is we heard nothing off the roost that morning in a place where we know from trail cam pictures held several gobblers. Um, a couple of them still together in groups could be just bachelor flocks. It could be just brothers hanging. It's hard to say exactly, but we heard nothing on the roost. Uh, by 10 o'clock we did a reposition and by 10:45, we had a dead bird and that was a gobbler and two Jake's. Okay. So keep in mind what I'm telling you about the gobbler and two Jake's and called them across a dried-up pond for five or 600 yards. You'll see it on my show, Hunt Quest, next season, so you don't think I'm BSing you all right now, but literally one of the longest calls I've ever put. And Jake and I actually were both working them with uh, Woodhaven Real Hem box calls because, one, I left my tube call at the house for the first time in, like, 34 seasons. I forgot my stinking tube call. And, two, it's been really, really windy. So um, those birds came on, on a string pretty much from that far away, and I think the gobbler gobbled one time coming in and barely strutted and barely was interested but barely displayed or ba- barely showed any real excitement, breeding excitement. So we called those birds in. Jake made a great shot. Fast forward to opening day, which was Saturday, and heard minimal gobbling on the roost, and uh, birds gobbled just a little bit on the ground for a little while and then went silent. Uh We struck a bird about nine o'clock and mind you, we were in a pop-up blind with my buddy that hunts out of a wheelchair. So we were, we were not mobile at all. We had to just set up and call and, um, that bird skirted us and did gobble a little bit. He gobbled a fair bit for us and kind of stayed around us, but, but then just shut up, quit gobbling. And we never heard him again. Fast forward to about 11 o'clock, uh, struck another bird. And literally I was running my tube call that I didn't forget. And, um, bird gobbled, hit on the tube call, hit again closer on the tube call. I switched to my my new energy signature call with Woodhaven. And like four yelps later, he unfortunately came around the back of the blind, and we weren't able to get my buddy repositioned enough with his rest and everything in his wheelchair to get the shot. But we weren't going to let the turkey walk off. And uh, Brandon, my buddy, like shoot the damn turkey. Don't let him walk off. So <laughs> I grabbed my shotgun and stuck it out of the hole of the screen and popped him at about 25 yards. And uh, but he was definitely coming in directly behind us and going to skirt us. So that bird did gobble gobble fairly well, but it wasn't it wasn't anything. I mean, he strutted a little bit. He he showed a little bit more signs of spring than the other birds that we've been on, and 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 the lack of hurt hearing. But uh, fast forward to Tuesday, the second day of the opener last weekend. And um, had two gobblers, and remember I told you about the gobbler and the jakes. These were two longbeards and two jakes, and caught them in on a string, but the birds wouldn't separate, and I had two of my good buddies' wives with me that were trying to get their first Osceola. They both killed Easterns up in New York, and um, the birds would not separate, and I wouldn't let the girls shoot because they'd have whacked the whole flock. (laughs) And those birds, the jakes came on in and closed, and the gobblers skirted on out of gun range. And I don't know if they picked up hens. They could have. I'm not 100% sure but they did shut completely down. We got up repositioned and could never strike those two gobblers again. Um, so then moved to Monday morning and we heard nothing off the roost. It was a lot less windy, It was very windy, but like windy, like I told you Saturday and Sunday, I mean, terribly windy. And, uh, and if you hunted Florida with palmettes and palms, it's hard to hear when you're hunting that type of old Florida cause those things rattle and rattle and rattle. So, Monday morning, the wind laid a little bit more. Never heard a peep off the roost. And then I called in four separate hens all by themselves, which makes no sense whatsoever. Not one of those hens had a gobbler with them. So that gives almost a sign of, what, are they nesting hens already? What do we got going on here? So it's definitely either I don't think it's done. I think they haven't got together good yet. And you're still seeing gobblers and jakes even flocked up together. So my best assessment after all that and being in the woods what, four different mornings now with very minimal gobbling activity and gobblers and jakes still flocked up kind of weirdly. I think that they're just – it's running a little bit late at the end of the day. I think it's running a little bit late.
0: Yeah. Now, you also are talking about how you're starting. You're still seeing birds flocked up. Do you still think that that's, again, a little bit behind as well? You're not seeing so many birds kind of by themselves and kind of coming by themselves. You know, you're seeing a lot of male birds together and even the hens as well.
6: Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, saying those, those, those boys flocked up even though they're jakes. I mean, I just it makes sense to me that they could still be in their busting up process. Uh, maybe started it, but not completed it 100%. And that's why they uh, may or not have been getting with hens. Like I said, those gobblers drifted off. I'm not, I didn't hear hens yelping. Matter of fact, let me go backwards here. On that morning I called in the, the four, the two jakes and the two toms. I heard hens in the roost with those birds. And when they showed up and, and marched straight to us, in the gun range and could not get the shot before they kind of broke left on us. There was no hens in sight, and I never heard those hens again. So, again, there's no real reason that they wouldn't have gone to those hens unless they're not quite ready yet. The hens aren't quite ready yet. So I just think, as a whole, my assessment would be they're a little bit delayed. Um, We'll see this weekend. i have my youth hunt with Jake uh, more north, more towards the northern part of the Osceola country. And uh, we will see what those birds are doing this weekend, and hopefully they're acting a little bit better. But no complaints. We got two birds on the ground, two tags filled, so no complaints at all.
0: Now, what kind of habitat are you finding a lot of these birds in? Kind of explain what's the habitat like in the area of Florida that you hunt in, and is there anything specific that these turkeys like sticking to on the properties that you have access?
6: No. Well, you got to understand something. If you go two hours north where I'm going to be hunting with Jake this weekend, you have Some pasture, you have live oaks, planted pines, like Georgia planted pines, um, little more dense woods. Now you go down South Florida where I was at the last two weekends, you have tons of pastures, you have lots of cabbage palms, you have some palmettas, sparse palmettas, and you have pasture there as well. So at the end of the day, turkeys love open areas. So I always key on open areas. They're easy to glass They're easy to spot birds from long distances. Uh, you don't have to even use sound to, to spot them and locate them. And, uh, but if they are in that denser stuff, the the two jakes and the toms that came in together, those were in more uh, palmetto-infested, live oaks, hickories, hardwoods, that kind of thing, a little more dense woods. So you get such a diverse type of, of terrain in Florida, you, you never know exactly what you're going to encounter or where you're going to encounter birds outside of just good old turkey knowledge of Areas that have maybe water or creeks and maybe where there's still acorns on the ground. Um, I try to, again, key on the more open areas, places where there's visibility, places that are easier, a little easier to set up and call. And um, outside of that, you're trying to call them through thick palmettos and dense vegetation, and that makes it really, really hard. But they're, they're going to be in those same type of areas. Anywhere in Florida has to offer, in my opinion, you're gonna, you can encounter turkeys. You can find cypress heads as well down in South Florida. We had lots of cypress heads that we were hunting as well. You go to North Florida, you don't see that near as much, or northern the northern end of the Osceola country, you do not see that as much. It's a completely different style of woods. So you just gotta take it and stride, man. You gotta go out and use visuals, and then if you do use locators to, just to listen and, and hear them, and then look for sign in softer, muddier areas. We have a, Florida's very wet right now, so definitely find those softer areas, those muddier areas that signs show up very well, uh, whether it be tracks or strut marks or whatever. I tend to think gobblers don't tend to strut in the mud all that much, but you can you can definitely look for the sandier areas and the muddier areas and look for sign that are you know that they're leaving on the ground as well.
0: Now, a question I've got for you is, you know, you got one more tag left for the state of Florida. Kind of, what is your game plan to go about filling that tag before you move on to some of these other states you hunt?
6: Well, it's going to be interesting because the way my season's laying out is a little different than most. Um, I've got Jake this weekend for the uh, central zone youth hunt and North zone, northern zone youth hunt. And then from there, I'm bringing him back to the house, and I'm packing up and headed back to the same place that I hunted with the S&N Outfitters, and I'm going to be guiding for two weeks. So get done April 3rd with the two weeks of guiding, and then I'm headed to South Carolina, which will be like April 6th through the 9th or something. I'm probably going to South Carolina. So that will leave me about two more weekends in Florida. So I've got a couple of uh, ace in the holes, if you will, that I may try to get after some I've got public ground I can hunt that's open that you don't need quotas for. Uh, and I've also got a couple buddies with some private land I may try to get after them, but it, it's all hard to say because I may end up slipping to Georgia. I may get alabama. i may I may not get a lot of chance to hunt in Florida before it's all said and done. I'm not sure exactly, but um, I, I'm uh, at a position where I've got a lot of free time, so I might be able to get out on a weekday or something and hunt some public land that's less pressured during the week or maybe hook up with a buddy that is able to slip away on a weekday or something like that But um, if it's in between my trips. But I'm definitely taking Jake to Georgia and uh, more than likely South Carolina, and then I may head over and hunt with my Woodhaven people over in Alabama is one of the last places that I'm thinking about going to hunt. So that's kind of the game plan. It's going to be fly fly by the seat of my pants a little bit this year, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to throw a little bit of curveball. You know, a normal short report, we would end it right there. But since I got you on, dude, I'm going to turn this into a little mini episode if you've got a little bit of time. Uh, you know, we've talked sure. a, we've talked a lot uh, over the last four or five turkey episodes about one of the first episodes we ever did with you, like the main concept of what we talked about was like hide the hen and how much that plays a factor for you. And we've talked about it a, lo- a lot. We've had a lot of listeners ask about, man, what episode was it that we had you on where you talked about hiding the hen, yeah. how it's important for any hunter, no matter if you're a novice hunter trying to get into it or someone that's more experienced of how, Getting away from using the decoys, or just setting yourself up in a spot where you're hiding the hen, and he's got to come and find you, can set yourself up for more success than seeing birds get hung up at a hundred yards from you. Can you talk about mm-hmm. the whole concept of hiding the hen, how you implement that, and how somebody can use it this season to put birds in their lap?
6: Absolutely. Well, I mean, the 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 short version is um, I started turkey hunting back in the mid mid '80s, late '80s, '86, something like that, '85, and Decoys weren't very popular then. Fast forward to the early to mid nineties, ten years later, and decoys started to become a thing. Well, for ten, twelve years, I learned how to use setup and good calling to produce results time and time and time again, especially management areas in tough places that are pressured, because I didn't have a whole lot of places to turkey hunt when I was a kid. I hunted management areas pretty much and um The hiding the hen concept is something I came up with a long time ago, back in those days, because I wasn't running decoys. And it basically involves making sure you set up where the gobbler can hear you, but he can't openly look and see where he should see a hen. And when he does get close enough to take a peek at what he thinks he's hearing, that you're talking sexy to him, is when he gets into that position where he thinks he should see the hen, it's too late. He's in gun range, and he's dead. And that's basically the whole hide-the-hand concept. It's about putting yourself in a position where he has to come around a corner on a road. If you're setting up on a more open area, make sure you set up in the woods 20, 30 yards. Don't set up right on the edge of the the field, if you will, the pasture open area. Um, Use bushes and trees and deadfalls and anything that doesn't completely hinder your visibility. You don't want to get it where now it's going to hinder a shot but you want to get it where he walks in and he's looking and he thinks he he thinks there's a hen. he knows there's a hen, but he cannot lay eyes, eye, lay eyes on her until it's too late and he's in gun range so perfect case in point was when we repositioned on opening day or opening uh youth hunt down in south zone when we re- repositioned and got to where we wanted to get we had a big long dried up pond but we knew if we set out in some of the different places in the clumps of trees that were scattered out in that dried up pond that gobbler could see for 500 yards and go, there's no way I'm coming all the way over there. I, I can look here and hear a hen, and then she ain't standing there. So what we opted to do is this field was bordered by an oak hammock, and there was a, a decent-sized point that, come, that jutted out into that dried-up pond, and we all put our heads together and said, let's get off the edge of this thing 20, 30 yards on this point, off the point up into the point 30 yards with visibility to see both sides of that dried-up pond. And what that did is those birds that came from literally five, six hundred yards away, they could never identify completely why there wasn't a hen there. You know, what I mean they could hear the hen, but they could not look and without with they couldn't look and definitively say, Why is there not a hen there? I'm hearing her. Because we set up enough cover that she was hid basically from their visibility. And they came all the way down from a long ways down the edge of that hammock on on that field, on the edge of that field and came right to us on the string. And it worked out perfectly. Um, same case in point, where we hunted with my buddy Brandon, and I shot that bird Saturday morning. It was an open area. It was like uh, it was in, it wasn't improved pasture, but it was pasture. But there was uh, switchgrass and little clumps of palmettos and little clumps of trees, and there was no place that that gobbler could look from. Even though he could see two or three hundred yards, it was it was only in pockets. So we were hiding the hen, even in the pop-up, we were hiding that hen, and that gobbler could look hard as he wanted to, but he could never, in my mind, rationalize where, where that hen was. He could not put eyes on her. He, he believed, in my mind, Jacob, I think the turkey knows when he should or shouldn't see a hen, and when he can't see her, that's when you're hiding the hen correctly. And he has to come in and keep looking and searching for that hen because you're drawing him in with that sweet love, and trying to get him in gun range. And that pla- that place, even though it was more more open than where we were with Jake, that gobbler could never definitive- definitively pinpoint where he was hearing that hen, and that's why he walked right into gun range at 25 yards.
0: So, Scott, I've got to run a situation by you uh, that a listener brought up to me, and I've heard this. i personally been in the situation, especially uh, being a little bit more of a green hunter and just learning not to do this after speaking with you again a few years ago about this topic of just hiding <laughs> the hen. But the situation situation of hunting big open hardwood uh, river bottoms. Uh, we hear a lot of mm-hmm. listeners uh, ride in and uh, call us and just reach out to us about, hey, you know, I'm always getting on birds. I know one guy I'm thinking of particular, on a piece of public land in Alabama. He's like, man, I'm always on birds. He's a like, newer turkey hunter. He's like, I can get him to come in within about a hundred yards, and then they hang, they just, they stand there. And I'm like, can you still see him? He's like, oh yeah, I can see him. And he's hunting Mm -hmm. kind of big river bottoms and stuff. And I explained your concept of hiding the hen. he went back and listened to your episode and found it very helpful. But those big river bottoms can be very tricky because everything looks very similar. (laughs) Sometimes there's not a lot of cover on the ground. How can a guy put Mm -hmm. himself in a good position hunting big river bottoms um, to put that bird in his lap to get within range? Or at least, (laughs) you know, get within 40 yards or so so he can shoot it, whether he's shooting TSS or lead or whatever else.
3: Right.
6: Um, I think one of the things that comes to mind really quickly is those river bottoms generally will have a little bit of an elevation change as you come up out of the bottom. And you will end up meeting a different type of tree, maybe more pines, more more, more cover as that elevation. Because you're down there hunting that river bottom, it, there's no cover down there because it's flooded 50% of the year. So there's no undergrowth. But if you come up out of that river bottom, on that, usually there's a little bit of elevation change. That's where I would think I would try to find a little bit of cover and hunt a little bit above him, anyways, which is not a bad idea, regardless. And try to find some type of cover where it's not that wide open park looking beauty. Now, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with using using a stinking decoy. I have no problem with somebody using a decoy. And at the end of the day, that might be something that that guy might need to do is put a visual out there. But ultimately, me not ever ever even toting decoys, I'm going to find that little bit of elevation change when that train changes and that undergrowth changes where there's actually sunlight getting through and there's not standing water, and you'll find some type of cover. There'll be somewhere you can get a little bit of cover where you can hide that hen.
0: And I think that's something that's getting more and more popular is guys kind of getting away from carrying so much stuff in the woods with them. I know it's happening that with Mm -hmm. deer hunting now, especially a lot of guys hunting publicly and trying to go ultralight. I've seen a lot of guys do the same thing for turkey hunting, this kind of minimalist hunting. Where, you know, they're Mm -hmm. taking just the basic necessities in the woods to try to have success and and make it happen. And again, like your style of hunting, I think works well with anybody, even if you are going to use a decoy. Again, setting yourself on a spot where he's got to come in to find that decoy and then seal the deal so you get that bird within 40 yards for a good, clean, ethical kill. Um, So Mm -hmm. that is something that I think all listeners, again, if you're listening right now, should really focus on is, again, trying to find out how to hide that hen, whether you're in big river bottoms, ag country, uh, open pines, which is also another situation I've seen a lot of guys struggling. Open pines can be a huge struggle. And I think, do you deal with that much in South Carolina?
6: Oh, absolutely. Um, And I've had birds walk right to me with no decoy. I I mean, you can still kill one. I'm not saying every single time that gobbler can't quite see the hen and he hangs up. I'm not saying that at all. One of the things, and, and this is something that I've got a caveat to all of this, when you get him coming and hopefully have not laid eyes on him and he's 150 yards closing, shut up. Don't make another sound. Unless you absolutely have to cluck and purr, do something just to steer him a little bit more your way call very soft. If you do have to do that in that situation, and call very muted. But one of the things that's very successful that I literally just forgot, it just came to me when I was thinking about the hard bottoms and you said open pines was shut up, quit calling. Once you get him coming long before, long before he can see or you see him. And as long as you got him coming to you and he's making forward regressions, tone that calling down and stop calling at all, almost altogether. And if you have to do anything, do it very soft and very muted. I literally will call if this makes sense to the listeners with my mouth almost closed with just enough air to make it allow the sound out of my mouth. Like I'm gobbling up, I'm shutting down the sound where it's so muted. Even with a Turkey's hearing, I think he could struggle to quite pinpoint exactly what it is. So that's, that's a little more advanced calling tactics, but you literally muffle down your calling to almost barely audible stuff like tree talk almost, but even softer. And uh, outside of that, just shut up completely once you get him coming, and that can make, also seal the deal on those birds in that more open country.
0: Awesome, Scott. Well, hey man, this is why I got you on. Do you have any kind of lasting tips or anything for uh, any guys going out there? I know Mississippi opener is coming up on Monday. Uh, Alabama, we're about ten days away uh, as of right now. I know Florida is North Florida is coming open as well, along with uh, Georgia. Mm-hmm. South Carolina is not far behind. You know, what kind of tips would you give guys for opening weekend to kind of go out there and have some success?
6: Um, based on what had happened to us on the last two weekends in South Florida, not a ton of gobbling activity, but if you know the birds are there and you literally go out and you hear nothing, you have two options. You can go and play needle in the haystack turkey hunting, which is running and gunning. And if you feel froggy and you want to run 47 miles and try to find that, that needle in the haystack, that one hot bird, then do that. But if you're in a target-rich environment, you're, you've done your scouting, you know those birds are there, and you hear nothing off the roost or nothing within 30, 45 minutes of daybreak, go sit down in one of those spots, create a great setup with a hide-the-hen type situation, and just blind call. And that's where I think people get a little too anxious too quickly And when they don't hear something right off the roost, and they want to beat feet and cover 50 million acres of ground. And, and again, that will kill turkeys. But I'm telling you, more, more and more over the last decade, I have gotten to where I am just, if I get those mornings where I'm not hearing much of anything, I park my butt down, and I do some sexy calling, and I sit, and I wait and I call. And I call quite frequently, depending on hunting pressure. And obviously, if it's early in the season and you're hunting places that aren't pressure too terribly bad, you can call a little more frequently. But gauge your calling frequency on the pressure that you think that area has. And um, when it's less pressured in early season, I'm going to call a lot more frequently. I'm talking like every 10 minutes, I'll throw a couple cuts and, and some yelps out there. Uh, I may go to some clucking and purring. If, if it's a more pressured area later in the season, that type of deal, then I may go to softer, muted yelps, whining and clucking and purring, scratching the leaves, old school stuff. But just don't get too anxious too early if you get out there and you're not hearing nothing right off the roost. Try, if you're in the area, you know you have birds, just, just get, be patient and call some, and, and, and you'd be surprised at the results you'll end up having from that.
0: Yeah, and I was one thing I was going to ask, and then we can kind of wrap everything up. But like, what is the tips? Like, what is your tips for blind calling? Because I, I think it's uh, it's kind of nerve wracking for some people. I know it is kind of for me. You're setting up in a spot, blind calling, trying to keep your eyes peeled, ears peeled, listening for the spitting drumming, listening for those subtle things, and also keeping your eyes open. But how do you know again what calls to throw to be able to mimic a situation that Goblins going to come in and investigate?
6: Uh, Again, I mean, I kind of just, I'll reiterate it, but I mean, it's all based on time of the season and the hunting pressure. Earlier season, less pressure. I call more frequently, uh, cutting sequences. Um, I'll run two calls at the same time, a pot call and a mouth call. Um, I'll call every 10 minutes, 15 minutes or so. Um, Because here's, I'll go into my theory on what I believe that I'm making the turkeys run and gun for me. I'll get into that before we close this out. And then as the season goes on and pressure mounts and more people are hunting, even on private land, you know, you got hunting leases in places where people start hunting and they start getting pressure. That's when I'm going to tone it down. I'm going to call uh, maybe about the same frequency every 15 minutes or so, but I'm going to cluck and purr and do softer stuff. And I make it a little bit louder with some plain yelping and just try to be more subdued because, in my opinion, the more pressure turkeys get, even the hens will become more subdued where they're calling. They get even a little less vocal as the pressure mounts and and they're getting more bumps and they're getting more contact with humans that are running calls. And I think in my mind, they just figure out that every Turkey they hear in the woods, it might not necessarily be a Turkey. That's what I rationalize that a Turkey's thinking. Um, at the end of the day, um, Where was I going? I said I'm going to go back to somewhere and talk about something.
0: Yeah, I I bookmarked it. You said you were going to get the turkeys, the gobblers, to uh, run and gun for for yourself.
6: Uh, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, listeners. I totally had a brain fart right there. What my theory is on blind calling and how much success I've had in the last decade as I started doing it more and more is you're simply throwing the sound out there, and a gobbler can hear you five times farther than we can hear him. I think when you run in gun sometimes, birds answer you, you never know or even there. So when you, what are turkeys doing all day long? What do they do from the moment their feet hit the ground, what are they doing usually?
0: Well, I'm so, can you repeat the question again? I'm sorry.
6: I said from the moment a turkey's feet hit the ground in the morning off the roost, what are they doing all day long?
0: Uh, feeding and moving.
6: Moving. There you go. There you go. Sorry to put you on the spot.
0: <laughs> no nope, No worries.
6: So, <laughs> And in my opinion, what a lot of times what happens when you blind call is a bird may hear you way farther than you would ever even dream he would hear you, and he starts working his way to you, and he listens, and then you call 10 or 15 minutes later, and then he hears it again, and he perks his ear again. And as that bird is working through an area, maybe not even coming to you exactly, but he's just working through an area, at some point you finally get his interest peaked, and A, he does gobble, and you strike him and then he comes in the gun range and you kill him, or he may just come in quiet. So you're literally allowing the birds to do the running and gunning because they can hear you so much further than you're going to hear a gobbler answer you if you're running and gunning. If he, You know what I mean? So you're, you're letting the turkeys do the work for you, essentially. And I'm not saying I'm lazy because I walk 50 miles a day with the best of them, but I just, I'm just beginning to develop these theories about how you're letting the birds do the work for you almost, and you're covering effectively more ground because he – he may have gobbled at you at 500 yards, and you didn't even hear him, and then he does close in, and then he's on top of you. If you were running and gunning, that bird gobbles at 500 yards, you didn't hear him, what happens? You walk off, and you never even knew he was there. So food for thought for everybody and, and the guys that are very patient and the guys that are impatient. There's two ways to kill him, there's no doubt about it, but I've found a lot of success, probably even more success, in blind calling in the, over the last decade, 15 years, than I did whenever 30 years ago when I was I, a buddy, went 30 years ago, I walk 400 miles a day. I mean, I would walk the soles off my boots trying to find that magical bird, when in reality, if I had just sat my butt still in places I knew that held turkeys, you're going to be very successful trying that tactic.
0: Yeah, and actually, that that goes spot on with, uh, we had uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Michael Chamberlain on uh, episode 225 earlier this spring And that was exactly what he talked about, as in, you know, uh, if you have the patience to sit a spot that you know there's turkeys there based off your scouting and based off listening for birds Mm -hmm. and roosting birds in a specific area – they're going to come through there at some yeah. point, And if you are calling and doing your blind calling, just like what you're talking about, they're going to hear you from a distance and probably even get them to come there a little bit quicker and be a little bit more kind of invest investigated uh, in the situation to put a bird in your lap, especially if you're in a spot where you're hiding the hen and he has to truly come in, uh, you know, close to within gun <laughs> range to see what's going on.
6: Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, uh, when you run and gun, you're walking past turkeys. you never knew were there. A, they didn't gobble and you probably bumped them or B, they gobble and you never even hear them because they're too far away but they did answer you and you never know they're there so it's it's it's, it's really something to ponder and think about.
0: Yeah, exactly and you know to kind of let you, uh, before I let you go, one thing I want you to plug, I know you got a, a new call out with uh, Woodhaven, the uh, Bladed V part of the uh, Elite 3 Signature Series let you kind of plug that before we let you go and again just appreciate you coming on.
6: Absolutely, yeah. Bladed V is a 3 readed split V, and I I modify the wings. We've done a complete modification on the wings and made it to where it comes to a point in the center. All three wings. Uh, it's a lighter latex call. <clears throat> Excuse me, my allergies are killing me. It's a lighter latex call, and it's a it's a much looser stretch than my New Energy, my Raspy Red, my Yellow Venom. Um, all three of those are a tighter stretch call. The Black Reactor is also a looser. That's that turkey foot looking um, cut that I came out with like two years ago, the black reactor and the bladed V are both a little bit lighter, uh, latex and a little bit lighter stretch, all easy to run in my opinion, given different hand voices. And it, but if you're on a lighter, lighter stretch and you like a little lighter stretch, definitely look into that. But at the end of the day, guys, check out hunt quest on YouTube. Uh, give me a shout out or a holler or a follow on Instagram, Scott underscore C underscore Ellis. And um, again, Hunt Quest on YouTube and our fan business page, if you will, is on Facebook. Hunt Quest with Scott Ellis. So, uh, and if you want any Hunt Quest T-shirts, check out my website scottellishunting.com. I have T-shirts, and I still have my old DVDs, Mouth Call Magic One and Two, are still available on the website.
0: Fantastic, awesome, Scott. Well, appreciate you coming on, dude. Best of luck to you for the best, uh, rest of your season. I know you got a busy spring coming up, uh, but again, hopefully, we can have you back on talk a little bit more turkeys in the future
6: uh anytime i'm game anytime jacob i appreciate y'all having me on all
0: right guys and that wraps up this week's episode of the southern outdoorsman strut report we hope you enjoyed it if you did please share it on facebook or instagram and also share it with the buddy but i also would highly recommend you guys get ready to tune in on monday's episode we're having mr tim knight on which a lot of you all have requested he's a uh, huge turkey hunter from the state of georgia uh, and also just a big-time turkey bow hunter without using uh, blinds. He's actually uh, probably the grandfather of uh, turkey hunting without a blind uh, with a bow. So make sure you check out Monday's episode. It's going to be a really good one. But y'all have a great week, and best of luck to any of the youth hunters in Alabama hunting this weekend along with any uh, kids hunting in Mississippi.
2: All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're gonna be there again. This time it's gonna be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are gonna be there all three days. We're gonna have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're gonna have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're gonna be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the mobile hunters expo is the place you need to be. If you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And guys, we get a lot of questions about...